All right, welcome to everyone here at New Philly Hongdae. This is our New Philly Hongdae service. I want to just take a moment to say what's up to New Philly Shilin, New Philly Itaewon, New Philly Busan, and New Philly Sydney. Uh, all of you are video streaming today. And if you didn't know, New Philly is a multi-site church. Each of our covenant communities are unique, but we are all united as one church family with the same kingdom DNA and vision to raise up an army of mighty, spirit-filled, fire-filled warriors. Unique but united are all of our campuses, and all five of our church campuses will be getting the same message today. So, New Philly Hongdae. Look into this rear camera right now and show your love to your entire family by making hearts with your hands. All right. All right. Shinemi, Taiwan, Busan, Sydney, we love you and we miss you. And we are praying together as one church uh, with you. The theme of 2014 for our church is the year of wisdom, the year of wisdom. And currently I'm in the middle of a sermon series on wisdom with the physical body, wisdom with the body. Scripture says in Romans 12, 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The Bible says in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, it's popular to interpret this verse as offer your heart or your life as a living sacrifice. And that's, you know, you know beautiful and poetic. Uh, but I talked about last week how this is not necessarily a wrong or bad interpretation, but it should not overlook the plain reading of the text. The Apostle Paul here uses the Greek word soma which accurately is translated a physical body, the physical body. So Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, offer your physical body as a living sacrifice. If you aren't fully persuaded by this interpretation, I would encourage you to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. I was going to read it, but I'm going to just give it to y'all and leave it as the unsaid, and you can unpack it at home, all right? Uh, but it's a very similar emphasis as Romans 12.1, Romans 6.12-14. Uh, it says, do not present the members of your physical bodies to sin, but present yourselves to God as, uh, present the members of your physical body and yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, Romans 12.1, one of the most fascinating things that I pointed out is that the Apostle Paul teaches here that when you submit your physical body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, this is your spiritual, everybody say spiritual. spiritual, spiritual act of worship where people tend to dichotomize. They separate between the soul, the spirit and the body. The Bible does not do that. When it comes to spirituality, the apostle Paul gives us a more holistic, inclusive approach. Making sure you get plenty of sleep, eating right. Exercise, abstaining from sexual immorality with your physical body. This is your spiritual act of worship. How you take care of your physical body has more to do with your spirituality than you think. This is not just a new age thing. This is actually in the scriptures. So my first message was about wisdom with sleep. Last week, I talked about wisdom with sex. And throughout the week, on my Facebook page, I posted quotes and articles all about sex. And by Thursday, I was kind of thinking, man, this is a little overkill. <laughs> People who have not heard my message, they're going to be like, what? Why? why is Pastor Christian so obsessed with sex all of a sudden? <laughs> I was a little worried, but I hope that those who saw those postings, you understand. It was in the context of my sermon that I preached last week. Now, today, I'm going to preach about wisdom with food and fitness. Everybody say, oh, snap. snap. All right, man, this is going to be a tough message, but I'm going to do my best. It's going out to all the campuses. I just want to begin by saying I love every single one of you. (laughs) I love y'all. Now we got that out the way. Let's begin. Uh, Most Christians condemn drugs, cigarette, the abuse of pharmaceutical drugs as being harmful to the physical body. And therefore, sinful. 
Drunkenness and debauchery are also condemned directly in the Bible as being sinful. But when it comes to overeating, there's overdrinking, but what about overeating or eating unhealthy? Very few Christians ever talk about it. Well, today the silence is over. Let me begin by saying that I'm not here today to try to make people feel guilty about their bad eating habits or to make them feel bad about their weight. I am here to preach the word of God. And I'm going to preach it to you straight, even if it hurts, because I love you. Now, if I did not love you, I would let you continue in your lack of self-control and let you reap the destructive negative consequences of you going your, your own way and resorting to your own devices. But because I'm a loving pastor, I want God's best for you. And I'm going to preach God's word straight. So I want to ask everybody, no matter where you are at with this topic, just let down your defenses for a moment. Because if those walls are up, nothing's going to go in today. So just let down your defenses. Everyone just kind of put your shoulders down and breathe out slowly. In the words of Jesus, blessed are those who hear the word today and they, are, they do not take offense. So I want to begin by looking at what are we allowed to eat? What are we allowed to eat? This is an interesting conversation I had at my housewarming a few weeks ago. Uh, according to Genesis 1.29, God said that man is allowed to eat fruits and vegetables. I'll read this. Uh, Genesis 1.29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. Oh, you thought we were allowed to eat it, right? It says, no, I, I give the green plants to them as well for food. So since meat is not mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, it seems from the Genesis account that God created man and animals to be vegetarian. <laughs> Some people use this verse to argue that God wants everyone to be vegan. Well... I would like to point out that the vegans in these early days did not care about a peace-loving reputation because they ended up filling the earth with great evil. God decides to wipe out these violent, wicked vegans with a flood. <laughs> and then he makes a new covenant with Noah and his family. And it's interesting what he says in Genesis 9.3. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I've given you green plants, I now give you everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Well, so much for the vegan argument. Uh, you can be vegan for your own personal preferences and reasons. But just to clarify, the Bible does not advocate it. Uh, many years after the covenant with Noah, God gives certain dietary restrictions to the Jews, to the Israelites. For example, the meat of split-hooved animals like pigs was forbidden, and most seafood was deemed as unclean by God and was forbidden from the Israeli diet. And then Jesus comes along. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 to 19, he's talking about something else. But it says the Bible writer, he interprets what Jesus said. Jesus said, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and then is expelled? Oh, Jesus, uh, that's kind of nasty. But then in parentheses, the New Testament writer says, thus he declared all foods clean. Okay. So this Jewish Christian is writing, um, this is a, the gospel writer Mark, right? Maybe he's a Gentile writer, right? Anyway, this gospel writer is writing at a time where Jews who have converted to Christianity are thinking about what do we do about all these dietary restrictions, all the kosher 
you know, restrictions that we've been given all these years? Do we now abandon them? And the gospel writer of Mark is arguing that, yes, Jesus here implied that all foods from here on are clean. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter had this vision of a great sheep with all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds on it. And a voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds, ew, Lord, that's nasty. I have never eaten anything unclean. And the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. So this happens three times. And the interpretation that Peter drew from this vision was that God wanted the Jewish Christians to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Which socially to the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean people. Jews were not to associate with them. And so Peter takes this vision and interprets it to mean that God now shows no favoritism to any ethnic race. He wants the gospel to go out to all people. But the vision also lifted all the Jewish dietary restrictions that were in place. Not only the words of Jesus, but this vision and its implications. Eventually, as Christians today, we do not try to eat kosher. Why? Because the gospel has given us the freedom to eat and drink to the glory of God. We are to eat just as uh, God made his covenant with Noah. We, everything is available to us to eat. Now, this is good news for Koreans. Let me tell you, Koreans eat everything. <laughs> so the gospel has indeed blessed the Koreans to eat everything indeed. Now, uh, the question isn't, are we allowed to eat something? But the question really lies with how much of each food should I eat? And how much food should I eat overall? That's the real question. And the old word for overeating is gluttony. Everybody say gluttony. Gluttony Gluttony is where you have no self-control and you overeat. And it's a habitual form of overeating. It is a form of greed, habitual greed. You know, we find it easy to condemn drugs, smoking, uh, over drinking. But gluttony in the church is often left unaddressed. And since it is grossly absent from the pulpit, with your permission today, I would like to talk about this. What does the word of God say in regards to gluttony? Is that okay? Last, last week, I talked, we talked about sex. Let's talk about sex. Today is, let's talk about weight. Is that okay? Let's talk about weight, baby. Now, um, if, you really, if you really think that God should have no business talking about and addressing your weight, then you can feel free to walk out the room right now. Now, you don't have to feel guilty about it. If you, if, you really want, if, you really want, if you really believe that God should not address your weight issue, you can just feel free to walk out. But in saying that, I know that anyone who does walk out in any of our campuses today, you know you're going to go download the MP3 later and listen to it anyway. <laughs> so just stay and receive the word of God together. It's not going to be that bad. Now, drugs and smoking, we know is wrong. We know that drinking too much alcohol is wrong. By the way, drinking alcohol is not inherently sinful. If you did not know the position of your pastor, there it is. But uh, if you have a problem with alcohol, please abstain for a season until you come to a place of maturity where you can exercise self-control over your alcohol consumption. And do not post on social media as you can stumble others of weaker faith. Do not use your freedom, the Bible says, as an occasion to stumble those of weaker faith. Then you will not be acting in love. And that's not the spirit of God's commands. And that's not the heart of God. All right? Anyway, that's drinking issue just taken care of in 30 seconds. Uh, Now, we know over-drinking alcohol is wrong. And the Bible clearly condemns debauchery and drunkenness as acts of the sinful nature. Acts of the flesh. But is there such a thing as... Overeating, eating too much food. Is that considered an act of the sinful nature? Does God care about how much I eat? I want you to uh, turn to scripture. Deuteronomy 21. 
Deuteronomy 21. We're going to look at 18 to 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Chapter 21, and I'm going to start from verse 18. I'm going to end with verse 21. Verse 18. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city as the, at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then look at verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Now you talk about the fear of the Lord, okay? The Israelites did not play around with the fear of the Lord. I mean... You can see from God's commands what the fear of the Lord. Some people say, oh, the fear of the Lord is just about reverence. That's not what I see in this Old Old Testament script. When I read the law of God, this is the fear of the Lord. You like stone somebody, make sure everybody hears about the stoning. And everybody's like, oh, snap. I was uh, getting all drunk last night, not listening to my parents. I'm going to stop that today because I might get stoned to death. That's the fear of the Lord right there. Hallelujah. Now, Now, in this passage... The sin that is being purged out of the community is rebellion. But what is interesting is that the gluttony and drunkenness, which is essentially a lack of self-control, are seen as symptomatic of rebellion. Drunkenness and gluttony are seen as symptoms of rebellion. Because why? It's repeated twice. The parents say, you know, if you have a child that's like that, then the parents are to say he is a drunkard and a glutton. These were symptoms, clear symptoms to uh, the Hebrews that that's a sign of rebellion in the heart. Now, your refusal to have your parents help you build self-control is seen as rebellion. Could it be that your refusal to have your spiritual parents help you build self-control is seen in a similar light? Amen. All right. And we'll move on. Proverbs uh, gives us wisdom and warnings against gluttony. Proverbs 23.20. I will read that. Be not among the drunkards or among the gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. Gluttony and overeating will lead to poverty. Proverbs 28, verse 7. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Gluttony leads to shame in your family. Shame to your parents. That lack of self-control. Gluttony is particularly condemned in the Bible when it takes place simultaneously among the poor. Now, even like non-Christians would think that's appalling. But the Bible also explicitly makes it clear that that's very appalling. Ezekiel 16, 49. It says, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Now, Sodom was an ancient city in the Bible that was destroyed by fire and um, I guess it was comets just coming out of the sky like, you know. All the apocalyptic movies y'all be seeing with the special effects. Well, this is God's special effects, and it's real. And it burned up two twin cities. Uh, Sodom was one of those cities. And it says, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Very interesting, right? A lot of times we're thinking about all the sexual immorality. We're thinking about all the... All the crazy things happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, 
But the long-term results of such immorality was that people were overeating, they were gluttonous, right next to the poor. And God saw that as wicked and appalling in his sight. So make no mistake about it, gluttony in the Bible is seen as sin. And scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Now how does the sin of gluttony show that the wages of sin is death? Well, all you have to do is just open up some medical websites to be persuaded that gluttony leads to death. Uh, gluttony, overeating, often results in obesity. And the Mayo Clinic website defines obesity as this. Obesity is a complex disorder involving an excessive amount of body fat. Obesity is not just a cosmetic concern. It increases your risk of disease and health problems, such as heart disease, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Obesity. Now, how do you define obesity? All right. What is worse, like obese or fat or overweight? Like, how do you use these terms? Okay. Well, the medical pra- practice, uh, practitioners use it this way. They use something called BMI, body mass index. So in, obesity is defined through a person's BMI. And the way you calculate it is you divide, you take your weight in kilograms and then you divide it by your height in meters squared, okay? Do you guys just catch the formula? It's very simple, okay? So I am 143 pounds. That makes me 65 kilograms. And I am five foot six. So that makes me 1.68 meters. I round it up, okay? That's okay with you. (laughs) 1.68 instead of 6.7. So I take 1.68 meters and I square it. And that gives me 2.822. And then I take 65 kilograms and I divide it by 2.822. My BMI comes out to 23.1 right now. 23.1. When I used to wrestle, I, I used to be a wrestler. Will, Pastor Will told me he, he used to wrestle. And I wanted to mention that I used to wrestle, but I didn't want him to like challenge me or something like that. Uh, he, looks, he looks like you know, he could t- take me on. Uh, but when I was a wrestler, my BMI was that uh, when I started wrestling, it was around like 18. And when I made weight uh, my freshman and sophomore years, my BMI, my body mass index was less than 10%. Most wrestlers, you wanted to get from 12%, 12 BMI or lower. So I was between 8 and 12 during my wrestling days. Okay? Uh, now, according to the medical chart, that would be considered underweight. But if you look at a wrestler, they're not really underweight because they're muscular. And so their, their weight is coming from their muscles. Um, but anyway, below 18.5 BMI is considered underweight. 18.5 to 24.9 is considered normal. 25 and to 29.9 is considered overweight. 30 to 34.9 is considered obese, class 1. 35 BMI to 39.9 is considered obese, class 2. And then 40 and higher is considered extreme obesity or class 3. Okay? And so that's how doctors define obesity. There's normal, there's overweight, obese, and class 1 obese, class 2 and extreme. All right. Now, uh, by the way, BMI does not necessarily measure body fat. So for some people like muscular athletes, uh, they may have a high BMI uh, and it may, they may come out as obese. Uh, in actuality, they don't have any excess body fat. So the most accurate way to do is use this um, pinching thing. And, uh, you know, a nutritionist will pinch under your tricep, under your ribs, and on your stomach. And then, you know, they get your more accurate BMI, your body mass index. Anyway, um, I have one of those instruments if you want to borrow it. Okay. <laughs> it's from my uh, wrestling days. I still have it somewhere. Now... Although there are, this is the Mayo Clinic, it says, although there are genetic and hormonal influences on body weight, obesity occurs essentially when you take in more calories than you burn. Obesity usually results from a combination of causes and contributing factors, including the following. Inactivity, unhealthy eating habits, like drinking a lot of soft beverages, oversized portions, too much processed food. Uh, Pregnancy causes uh, you to be overweight. Why? Because, yeah, you get a little bit more chubby. Not that, you know, my PE is experiencing that. But some women, after they gain weight through pregnancy, they find it hard to lose it after pregnancy. 
Lack of sleep, because that increases your appetite. I talked about that in my sleep message. Certain medications. For example, uh, if you're taking uh, certain medications, it can kind of make you groggy. So that can discourage you from going out and exercising, and therefore you could gain weight. And there are certain medical problems. But this category of medical problems being a cause is very small. Very few people are obese because of a medical condition or disease. Uh, one condition that will, may cause obesity is arthritis. You know, you just, it just hurts too much to exercise. So that, that can cause you to be obese. Uh, but contrary to popular belief, a low metabolism and low thyroid function are not likely causes of obesity. So some people, they, oh, I just got low metabolism. You know, oh, I got a thyroid issue. Uh, well, the medical doctors say, actually, that's not a likely cause of obesity. Okay. Now, here are the consequences of obesity. High cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, all kinds of cancer, uterus, cervix, endometrium, ovaries, breast, colon, rectum, esophagus, liver, gallbladder, pancreas, kidney, and prostate. Pretty much every cancer you can get. Obesity can actually uh, put you at a likelihood to get cancer. Breathing disorders, including sleep apnea. Gallbladder disease. Infertility and irregular periods. Erectile dysfunction and sexual health issues. And non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And osteoarthritis, to name a few. Obesity can not only have negative effects on your health, but it can also negatively affect the quality of life. You may not participate in certain physical activities. You may not be able to carry your children for more than 10 steps. You may avoid public places because you're embarrassed about your physical appearance. Or you may even face some discrimination in the workplace or in the job hiring process. You can also experience depression, disability, sexual problems, Shame and guilt, social isolation, lower productivity at work. These also lower the quality of life if you're obese. So the wages of sin is death. Gluttony is a sin. And when you continue in your gluttony, you will reap the wages that you have earned. Now, these social, emotional, and physical consequences, I'm here to tell you today, they are not they are not God's perfect will for you. Amen? That is not God's perfect will for you. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to talk about weight a little bit more. Your self-image is strongly affected by weight. Anyone disagree with me on that? Your self-image. No one thinks of their self-image just like just thinking of their spirit. That's my self-image. No, your self-image consists of your ears and your eyes and your skin color. Your self-image is, is affected by your physical body, including your weight. Now, some people try to say that true beauty is what's on the inside. You know, what counts is on the inside. That's, what, that's the theme of every Disney movie. So what's on the inside. And that's true, especially in certain cases where a person has a disease or is disfigured. You would then have to obviously look past their outer appearance to see the character, the content of their character. But for most people, that statement is not entirely true. The inner you does not make up your self-image alone. Your self-image is always affected by your physical face and body. Thus, true beauty is not just what's on the inside, but also on the outside. This is a very unpopular message to preach. <laughs> True beauty consists of both inner and outer health and beauty. If you are beautiful and healthy on the inside, it should show in your physical health, hygiene, and appearance on the outside. Can somebody give me an amen? amen. Am I the only one thinking logically in this world? <laughs> Let's not think of Disney ethics with biblical ethics, all right? Get your ethics from the Bible. Get, your, get your, uh, your values from the Bible. If you are overweight and you want a healthy self-image, listen to me. Listen to this. If you're overweight and you want a healthy self-image, listen to this revelation. 
the fat you is not the healthy you. Let me say that again. The overweight, obese you is not the healthy you. That is not the you that God wants you to become. And that does not have to be a permanent part of your self-image. The overweight you does not have to be a permanent part of your self-image. If you make it permanent, then nobody can talk about your weight issue. Because when they talk about your weight issue, they're attacking you. But I'm here to tell you, the fat you is not the healthy you. That is not the you that God wants you to become. So when I talk about making you the person God wants you to become, I'm not attacking you. I want God's perfect will for you. I want to help take you there. I thought that was a powerful revelation. I came up with that all by myself. So the key to healthy self-image is you got to visualize the healthy you inside and out. Visualize the healthy, spirit-filled you inside and out. Visualize. That's, that's got to be the picture of your healthy self-image. And then work toward aligning your inner health to your physical health or your physical health to your inner health. Uh, Pastor Benjamin talked about self-confidence in, in one of his blog entries this past week. And he said, confidence is the absence of self-rejection and the aftermath of self-acceptance. Confidence is knowing who you are and liking it. And I'm here to tell you, who you are is not the overweight you. That's not who you are. All right? Who you are is the healthy you. Imagine and visualize that healthy you and be confident in that person because that's the real you. To be successful at long-term weight loss and health, you got to have a strong self-image and self-esteem. And that will not come through just diet and exercise. It can only come from your relationship with God and your relationship with the church. Your relationship with God and your relationship with his people. A healthy self-image will come in no other way. Once you have a strong and healthy self-image... This gives you now the healthy perspective toward losing weight and will produce a healthy approach that will help you to keep it off. The goal is not to just lose the weight. It's to keep it off. Amen? So do not go running to the next diet fad. That's just like a band-aid. You want to deal with the root issues. Make sure you work on your inner spiritual health simultaneously with your physical body. If you're already spiritually healthy and mature and you've got an incredible inner beauty, then don't just stop with inner beauty. Align your inner you to your physical body. Let the inner beauty shine. Amen. Don't stop there with just, I'm beautiful on the inside. That's all that counts. No, don't stop there. Why are you dichotomizing your spirituality and your life? God wants it to overflow. It wants to be holistic. Healthy you in the inside means healthy you on the outside on your physical body. That's what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice. To honor God. You were bought at a price. Honor God with your body. Not just meditate in your soul. I honor God. I read his word. I pray to you, God. But on the outside, you're like class three obese. And your family's like, can you do something about this? Now, um, my wife asked me to not be offensive, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to calm down right now so that so I don't jump the gun. I, I, only, I, only, I only share what I processed, okay? If I share unprocessed things, I'm going to start getting in the offensive realm. I don't want to do that. Align the inner you to your physical body if it is healthy and beautiful and mature. Christ gave his life to heal and restore your soul, spirit, and body. Amen? And at this church, we do believe in physical healing. We may be accused of health, wealth, gospel. By the way, if you believe in physical healing, you're always going to get accused of health, wealth, gospel. That's just what the uh, reform side tends to do. Because they don't participate in healing 
crusades and he- healing you know, services, they don't, they don't know, they don't, that's unfamiliar to them. So anytime there's a theology of name it and claim it or just believing too much for healing, they think it's just heretical. They just think it's blasphemous and they call it the health and wealth gospel. But I believe that a healthy Christianity ought to believe that the gospel and the cross was not only to redeem your spirit and soul, but also your body. Now, the ultimate restoration of the body is be, will be when Christ returns. But we don't have to let this thing all fall apart until he does. Amen? Whatever you do, eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, the Bible says. Got to have a holistic view. And if you are going to lose weight, the Bible says you are not your own, so honor God with your body. Don't do it for somebody else. Don't do it for them people that don't even like you. Don't do it for you, or at least not just you. Do it for God, unto his glory. Because you know that you are not your own. You're trying to honor him. You know, I believe a great example where inner beauty aligned to outer physical body is our wonderful leader, Diddy, down in Australia. (laughs) Can I tell you about Diddy? There was a young man once nicknamed Toki. Toki is Korean for rabbit. Back in the day, Toki, he lacked self-control. And he uh, got involved with all kinds of drugs and bad crowd in Queens, New York. And, and uh, over the course of his high school and college years, he developed, he uh, became very obese. You know, I would, looking back on the videos, he was part of my media team, so I used to take video. Uh, anyway, Diddy is Toki, by the way. So Toki was his old nickname. And uh, when I used to take video of him, man, he, he was like, I'd say, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Diddy. I'd, I'd say you were like class two, like class 1.5 or something like that. I mean, he was pretty overweight. He was pretty overweight. And then he came to Korea. And once Campus Crusade, he wasn't involved with Campus Crusade, the college ministry, his spirituality started kind of falling apart. And he started getting involved with a lot of bad things. So he started coming out to New Philly. And God started to touch his heart, fill him with the Holy Spirit. And then the inner him became healed, delivered, discipled, mature. And as that inner him became healthy, he started going after the weight loss thing. He started aligning his physical body to his inner him. And let me tell you, it it almost seemed like it was overnight. One day, it was Toki no more. It was just Diddy. His new nickname we gave him here at this church. He lost so much weight. How much weight did you lose? Like, like 300 pounds or something, right? I mean, he lost a lot of weight. All right, that's a little exaggeration. But he lost a lot of weight. But the amazing thing about Diddy, the beautiful thing about his testimony is he's kept it off. And a big reason for his success is because it's holistic. His inner health is aligned to his outer health. And now he can carry his baby. He can do a church plant. He's rigorous in health. That's the way we ought to live to the glory of God. Now, if you're slender or skinny, it does not mean you're honoring God with your body. So you're not off the hook. Let's talk about the skinny people in the house. Now, some people could look very healthy on the outside. Very skinny, supermodel figure. Mmm, girl. Mmm, Wow. You know, wow. And you, sometimes you eat a meal with them and they're just eating so much. And like, wow, how do you eat so much and, and stay so thin? And, you know, they're like, everyone asked me that question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's like people like that, right? There's people like that. But some of those people, there are actually healthy ways to lose weight, weight and unhealthy ways to lose weight. Some of those people are actually losing that weight in an unhealthy manner. So let's talk eating disorders for a second. There's two kinds of major eating disorders. Number one is anorexia. Anorexia is when a person refuses to eat. They starve themselves in order to get that skinny figure to lose the weight and to keep it off. They just don't eat. And in extreme cases, we're not just talking a meal or two. We're talking like a week at a time. Just water. And one smoothie a week or something like that. That's like extreme anorexia. There's plenty of cases like that I've come across 
doing, doing ministry over the years. It's a lot more common than you think. Especially in a culture like here in Korea where image is everything. And there is only one kind of image that is pleasing to everybody. And everybody's trying to serve that image. Anorexia is a serious condition. And it is an un- unhealthy and destructive way to lose weight. In anorexia, men and women starve their bodies to serve and worship the God of worldly beauty. It is a form of idolatry in its essence. And what's interesting is anorexia is a double-fold idolatry. And I'll explain in a moment. It's a double-fold idolatry. Uh, In one sense, anorexia is the devil's counterfeit of fasting. When we fast, what do we do? We forfeit good things like a burger, my mom is cooking, right? Baked goods, whatever. In order to be more devoted to God, to worship him. But when people are anorexic, they forfeit food in order to be more devoted to worldly beauty images. And it is a double-fold idolatry because once the beauty is achieved, the goal is to be worshipped and adored yourself. So the Bible says, do not make an image, a graven image, and bow down to it. Well, in anorexia, you not only serve an image, but once you become that image, you are now being adored and worshipped. So it's a double-fold idolatry going on with anorexia. Bulimia is the other eating disorder. And bulimia comes in two forms, actually three. One is binging, two is purging, and three is binging and purging. So let me explain. Binging is where uh, a bulimic will just eat and eat and eat and eat, and it hurts, but they just keep on eating. Because the pleasure of eating or the pleasure of feeling full or whatever it is, it is just obsessive. And they just, it's called binging. They just eat like crazy. And they didn't break up with their boyfriend or anything like that. It's just an average Thursday night. <laughs> That's binging. And then there's purging. It's whether they binged or not. Purging is where you vomit out all the food you just ate. I have a confession. When I used to wrestle... As a sophomore in high school and freshman in high school, I used to be bulimic. My mom would insist that I eat, and she did not understand the wrestling team culture that I was in. And there was intense pressure, and I was one of the better wrestlers in my team that was on the lower weight class. I was one of the the lighter ones, and they needed me to make weight. And so I went from like 121 pounds to 112 pounds, and my freshman year, they wanted to make, make me 103 And so I did whatever it took to get down to 103, and I got there. And I won about four matches easily just at the 103. 103 is like you just throw people around like a piece of paper. (laughs) It was so easy, you know. (laughs) But then when you get to 112, I mean, it's like crazy hard. (laughs) 119, forget about it. Anyway, um, so my mom would make me eat, and then I would be like, I'm going to go for a jog. right, I just jog across the block, and then in the corner where nobody looking, And I throw, I I purge it all out, binging and purging. And some bulimics do both, binging and purging. Now, bulimia is an unhealthy and destructive way to lose weight. In bulimia, people serve the God of worldly beauty through purging and vomiting. Or people serve the God of their belly through binging. Or they serve both gods through Binging and purging. So there's a hidden form of idolatry in this eating disorder as well. Philippians 3, verse 17 to 19. It says, brothers, Philippians 3, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly. And not just in bulimia do people serve the God of their belly, but in obesity, people serve the God of their belly. 
They're like slaves and servants to their appetites, indulging in them, even in the face of terrible health consequences. Brothers and sisters, no, this is not the way we ought to live. Christ has called us to be free. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. We are not to be mastered by our appetites. We are to take authority over it and be alert and self-control so that we can pray. You think obesity has nothing to do with your prayer life? It has everything to do with your prayer, with prayer life. Think about it. You eat too much, you get food coma, you can't pray. Simple as that. That's why the Bible says, be self-control. Don't eat that donut. Go pray first. And then eat it, eat a half a donut. That's it. Don't buy that dozen Krispy Kreme. You know what you're going to do with it. You ain't going to share that with nobody. You know, even those of us who are healthy, we struggle with subtle forms of idolatry to the God of the belly. This is easily exposed when the church calls you to fast. Wait, how long, Pastor Christian? Wait, not 24 hours, but 48 hours? <gasps> I don't know if I can do that. And people look like they're in tears when I ask them to fast. Fasting is when we give up something good to seek God for something better, to just seek God for himself or to seek some kind of breakthrough, right? And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. But many times we, we, the church, we ask you to fast for something important, some mission, some kind of breakthrough for somebody. And people are like, don't touch my God right here. Easily exposed that we have some kind of slavery to our appetites. And that's why sometimes fasting is a form of casting down your idols. You know, Hebrews 12, 16 talks about Esau, how his God, his idol was his belly. You know why? Because he gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. And the Bible writers are like, what kind of craziness is that? Who gives up their birthright for a bowl of stew? Do not be like this wicked Esau. They call him wicked for doing that. He was just hungry. Why are you calling him wicked? Because that kind of lack of self-control is indicative of so much more. Whether you're overweight or struggling with an eating disorder, when we are not being wise with our body and offering it onto God as a living sacrifice... Our poor health can have disastrous consequences on our calling and our, on our relationships. Talk about calling real quick. A lack of wisdom in, with food can cause you to fail at fulfilling God's plans for your life. Imagine if Jesus dichotomized between the body and the soul. Right? And he just ate whatever he wanted. What if he wasn't healthy? What if he was obese? Think about that. Think about if Jesus had no self-control over food. He would not have gone to the 40-day fast. It would have just been a four-day fast. Not even, four-hour fast. You know, they, they, do we have any food? You, y'all feed the 5,000. Oh, Jesus, we got these five loaves and two fish. Jesus is like, give that to me. <laughs> y'all have any other food? <laughs> Imagine if Jesus had no self-control over food. What kind of savior would it be? Yeah, they bring him the donkey. And Jesus is like, uh, you need to get me another one. <laughs> Can't ride in the donk, donk, donkey, donkey. <laughs> Poor donkey. <laughs> or worst case scenario, what if Jesus ate so much? He had all this obesity issues. He had a heart, he had heart disease at 33. And he had a heart attack on the way to the cross. How terrible. What, what, how tragic would that be? Jesus, why are you, why, what's going on? Jesus had a heart attack. <laughs> think of it this way. You got to think about Jesus, right? And the, and, the, and the excruciating pain of the cross. Jesus had no special physical grace to endure the cross. Think about that. He had to endure it like you and I would today. It's not like on the way to the cross, uh, Peter slipped him a performance-enhancing drug. And it's like, here, Jesus, take this. 
He had to suffer the pain, the ailment, the excruciating pain, and he was only able to finish the work of the cross because he had a strong, muscular carpenter's body, which he took care of. I believe when we look, when we see Jesus in the, uh, uh, when we get to heaven, he's going he's gonna to have like a little bit of a six-pack, a little, a little biceps. He's going to be muscular. He's going to be some scrawny, you know, you know, white dude that all them filmmakers always put in place, you know. He's going to be a curly hair, big-nosed Jewish guy. Hebrew of Hebrews from Galilee, ain't gonna be pretty muscular. They're gonna be like, whoa, Jesus, whoa, wow. And he only finished it because he was, he was healthy. He had wisdom with food. A lack of wisdom in food can also cause you to, to fail at being present with your family and friends when they need you the most. It, it destroys relationships. Think about it. I was re- watching this TV show, Extreme Makeover, and it was about weight. And this poor dude, he was like, he was like 35 years old. Like he had two kids or three kids. And he was like 500 something pounds. And he was about, he was, he had so many health issues. He was about to die. Like literally doctors were like, if you don't do something about this, you are going to die. You're not going to be able to see your kids grow up. And so the, so the show comes and sees him as a, as a, as a good candidate. And so they enroll him and then they film him like saying goodbye to his family. And his kids are all crying. Oh, daddy, don't go, don't go. And the father's like, I got to go or I, I may not be around. And that was true. It was actually true. If he didn't deal with his obesity issue, he knew that he might not be around to see his kids grow up. If you have an obese family member, the family members, you guys should speak up in a gentle, loving way. You should speak up and not just allow them to continue in their own devices. In church, the family of God, we should also speak up. When somebody has an extreme condition or even just getting there, and you know that they can have so much of a better quality of life, if they would just make a, just a small self-control effort, this could be your community group, your community group leader, your pastors, right? Y'all should speak up. Y'all shouldn't be like, this is a taboo subject. I should not touch. That's not none of my business. No, love is your business. If love is here, that means you're going to, in love, talk to them in truth about what they're dealing with. And if you are obese on the obese side and somebody addresses this in love, if they're doing it in a spirit of love and not just in, to mock you or something, if they're doing it in love, receive it. Stop taking so much offense. If they're doing it in love, receive their love and get some self-control in your life. You know, some people, uh, their emotional wounds from their childhood can make them vulnerable or susceptible to bad habits, which can in turn lead to obesity or certain idolatry in their hearts and self-image issues and stuff. But even if you had emotional wounds from your childhood, it still does not remove the responsibility for you to live an adult life with self-control. You can't play the victim and say, well, I've been wounded, so just leave me alone. Just leave me to my cupcakes and my ice cream. Leave me alone. No. You got to take responsibility for your life. Don't cheapen the grace of God. The grace of God always transforms a person. I was supposed to talk about fitness today. Um, I didn't get there. I do need to wrap up my message because uh, the other campuses, they, they need to get it. Uh, and so I'm going I'm to land the plane right now. I'm going to land the plane. Just take about a minute. I'm going to land the plane. That's okay with y'all. I'm just going to close with an emphasis on uh, self-control. If you want wisdom with food, the key words are self-control. You might say, oh, I tried and I can't do it. Don't fall into that despair and futility. Because Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. You can do all things through Christ. Even if you tried and failed in the past, this is a new day. Ask God for new grace. Get some new people to help you out. And you try again. But the key, word, key words are self-control. You see, when, if you can master food, you can be self-controlled in food, it will equate to victory in other areas of your life. Self-control with your mind, lust, covetousness, hatred, 
unforgiveness. Uh, self-control with your mouth, gossip, slander, strife. Self-control with your food is going to result in victory in other areas of your life. And the Bible says, where you are of little hope right now, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's in you. And Galatians 5, 22, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So it doesn't have to be all you and your efforts. It's you and your faith in the Spirit of God who is producing that fruit in you. He'll help you. It'll be a process, but he'll help you. And you will gain more and more self-control in every area of your life. You know, the matter, the, the, the question is not about self-control uh, in food. The question is self-control in whatever area. Because all of us, we struggle with self-control. It's just in different areas that we struggle with self-control. But the Bible says it is for freedom Christ has set us free. The gospel and its implications come and tell us that not only are you free from your sin, but you are free from these destructive habits. You are free from overeating. You are free from gluttony. You are free from your lust. You're free. You got to live free. So be alert and self-control so you can pray and live free as God's people. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer right now. I'm going to encourage the campus pastors at each of your campuses. Uh, if you want to do some altar ministry and pray for people, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and cut the video sermon here. Here at Hongde, as I was preparing this message, there are like so many things I could have talked about. I didn't get to talk about fitness. Uh, I have plastic surgery on here. I didn't get to talk about plastic surgery. Uh, I didn't talk about embracing all body types. Uh, that's, I actually really wanted to include that, but I'll just go over that real quick right now. Uh, <laughs> no, just, just in passing, right? But, but what we have to understand is God creates a diversity of body types. So if we all submit to just one, the skinny stick figure supermodel one, our image of beauty is completely tainted. It is not God's vis- vision of beauty. God's vision of beauty includes a diversity of body types and faces. And so we as Christians, we got to lead the way in that. And if, if God says it's beautiful, we got to say, you are beautiful. Well, I don't have the facial features of the supermodel that I like. It's okay, girl. God made you the way you are. You are beautiful, girl. And, you, and the inner beauty shining through too. Girl, uh, you are beautiful. I celebrate that beauty in you. Praise the Lord. And we got to learn how to embrace all body types. Muscular, scrawny, you know, a little bit bigger boned, you know. And, and if you look, and, and some people, when, if they play certain sports as a child, it actually results in certain body types. Like swimmers, they have broad shoulders and thicker thighs. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like they're not beautiful anymore. It doesn't mean that the gymnast is beautiful, but the swimmer is not. No, the swimmer is beautiful too. You look at like Serena Williams, she's beautiful just the way she is. And she will serve up a mean serve in tennis. And she'll do it while looking beautiful in her own way, right? And we got to learn how to embrace all that and celebrate all that. Or else we are going to continue to serve this idol of worldly beauty that's been created not by God, but created by Satan for our destruction. So many people are destroying their lives, destroying their bodies. To serve a God that cannot even bless or, ple- or, or give them pleasure or, or joy in any way. It is an empty idol. And we've got to cast down those idols. So as I was preparing this message, I felt like um, God highlight to pray for people uh, who really struggle with self-image in here. This could be men and women. You'd be surprised when we go to Thailand, we minister to to lady boys a lot of these lady boys they've been exposed to false self images and false ideas of beauty from the Thailand's Buddhist culture a lot of them have confusion about sexuality and beauty and they kill their bodies and take all kinds of medicines and go to all kinds of plastic surgery to serve this idol just because it all starts from this unhealthy self image and I want to pray for people in here whether you're overweight 
or you're struggling with an eating disorder, I want to get to the root today. And I just want to help pray and get you through the process of dealing with your unhealthy body image, your unhealthy self-image. Because God wants to come and heal that. He wants you to have full acceptance of yourself. How can you love your neighbor when you don't love yourself? Self-hatred comes from a demonic source. If you're struggling with all these things, we, we just want to take time to pray for you. I'm going to ask all the uh, active leaders and get the pastors first. And then we have, if we need more people, we'll have active